Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo or personality. Eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We got the two of the boys back together again, kicking off another God-tier podcast. Yeah, the OG crew. Got myself Pete with Chris. Oh, yeah. So we're just putting out a lot more God-tier content because we're really excited about the game. And it's one of those things where it's kind of weird because not a lot of people, at least in the United States, are talking about this on a podcast forum. So since we're enjoying it so much, we definitely wanted to move in that direction. So last week we talked about the different classes. And then this week we're actually going to look at two of the scenarios that Chris and I have been playing, uh, life and death. So we're going to kind of look at the good side and then the bad side. Serious matters today. (laughs) Matters of life and death. Yep, but before we get into our main topic, something we have been doing is we've been doing a lot of streaming this week uh, on the Rage Quit Wire YouTube channel. We actually streamed a game today where Chris and I played uh, the death scenario, and it, it was a pretty fun scenario. We'll get into that as we get into the topic, but make sure that you guys are checking it out because we have a lot of painting tips. We have a lot of uh, gameplay for certain games online mainly things like Heroes of the Storm and some other games I've kind of dabbled into, but most of it's kind of painting. So if you're looking for some good painting tips or some things to help you paint a little faster, that's that's something that I would really kind of recommend tuning in. Plus about once or twice a week that I'm going to start doing now is we're actually doing a Rage Quit Wire paint party. And it usually starts right about 930. And I haven't picked a specific day we do it yet. But we did it on Monday and then we did it again on Thursday where I basically got on the stream and I painted with a friend of mine. One was in Kansas, who's Eric, and the other also a Kansas boy, Dennis, who's actually a a pretty good artist. Gave some really cool like uh, object source lighting tips and some other things that you could use when you paint. Plus, it was just fun to kind of talk and just discuss different nerdy topics and things while we paint. So something that we're going to do because it's just, it's a lot of fun and just some different content comes out of that. So make sure that you like subscribe to the rage quit wire channel to make sure you don't miss that. You should try and get that dude from spiraling cadaver. He's like my favorite. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like go try and recruit that guy to your painting party. I I think you and I need to do a paint party sometime. I don't think so. (laughs) That probably won't go so good for people. (laughs) Why? Why? Because your basing is supreme. Well, okay, so a basing party—that's a different thing. And that base on Ringosh was all fucked up today. What? I mean, I can't get that lava looking like the pictures. Like, I don't get it. Like the (laughs) uh, the light source of the lava is different, and the way that people on YouTube, for instance, are saying to 
paint the lava and create the light sources and, and create the gradients of like yellow to orange to red is different yeah. than what actual lava looks like. It, it, it's, huh. And so it's just not, it's not looking right. Like I, it, it pisses me off, but I'll fix it. Yeah. And it'll look like a lava base when I'm done. Yeah. Lava can be tough just because lava is very inconsistent where this, the hottest sources are right. Whereas when you paint fire, you know, the hot spots are going to be at the base of the fire, wherever that heat's coming from. So like when I paint up Morn blade, the brightest spots are going to be by his neck. And then I'm going to kind of fade it out to a smoke effect as it gets further and further away from his yeah. actual head. So yeah, I agree. Lava's tough. I, I painted lava when I played Warhammer 40k for a while. Uh, I can do a little research, but yeah, it's definitely tough. Yeah, it, well, the thing is, because if you actually look at, I want it to look, you know, real, but if you actually look at videos of like lava flowing and hitting things and hitting other, like hitting lava rock formations and stuff, the brightest point is where that lava is crashing into uh, a rock or or something something that is turning it right. So most people that are making these painting tutorials are saying, okay, well near the rock, make that red and then orange and then yellow to grade it out and and create the area furthest away from the rock to be the hottest source and make that the yellow. But if you look at an actual video of lava flowing, you'll see that the yellow parts are the moment where it's hitting the rock and then it's redder further away. And so it just, but it doesn't look right on the model. Like it's just frustrating. I, I see a lot of, I'm looking at a couple pictures now and I can see what you're saying. And then I think the easy way out where some of these pictures do look like lava is where it has the bright yellow lines coming down the center and then oranges out to the side. So I can see what they're saying, but I definitely understand. I see a rock splash picture where the lava is hitting the rock and the yellow is where it's contacting the rock. So, I mean, I get that too. Um, it just, if it's not looking right, you just have to might switch it up a little bit. Yeah. I'm just going to fuck with it till it looks right. Well, and that's what I keep saying on the paint stream for this paint party is most of the time the models don't look good until it does. So you just got to kind of keep adding layers and when I was painting rain or Wraith during the paint party on Thursday with Dennis, I I had it where the upper scales were a darker blue and then his skin was a really bright sky blue and it just didn't look right to me. So actually like midstream, I switched it to painting those scales as green and then keeping the skin light blues and it looks really good. I'm, I'm happy with the way it came out. I just want my lava fix to look good. <laughs> yeah, I I got some got some things that I've done before, so I, I can mess with it and see if I can give you some tips on that. But um, it's tough. You just got to kind of keep messing with it. Yep. So let's go ahead and get into our topic for today now that we kind of plugged some things here and talked about some of our woes. But let's start with we're talking about life and death. And I do want to start with life because that's the one that most new people are going to play because in the rule book it says, hey, play life it's it's the most straightforward and it's it that's the easiest one to play so we'll talk about the game that we played with uh the life scenario chris and that's the scenario where basically 
as the turn goes on, you add to the hexes that are in the middle, the objective hexes, and the losing player each turn adds one of the dice plus two objective hexes. So up to two to four objective hexes. So what are your thoughts when you look at that scenario and what do you, what do you think about it in general for the game of God tier? I think that that scenario is very good for strong champions and it comes down to a champion versus champion game as things progress along because the more hexes start hedging up the way for the followers. Okay. And so I feel like that one is a game that is very focused on the champions crowding toward the center and battling it out. Yeah, I feel like that's the scenario where they're like, there's no tricks, gimmicks. You have to go to the center and the deployment zone is two hexes. So that once again gets the action going faster. Mm-hmm. And it, it is it feels like one of those scenarios where you're going to put your tank, which in this case is your guardian, in the middle and you're going to use him to kind of hold that ground while you kind of manipulate around the other objective hexes with your other two champions. Uh, that's kind of the vibe I get from it. It's like slam your guardians down and then fight it out. Yeah. And when we played our game, that was the game that I had half tusk. I think I had Naya in there with. No, you had half tusk and Grimgut. Oh, that's the 2v2 we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I had half task and Grimgut, and you had like Lorson and somebody. Mm. I don't know who your second person oh, was. Oh, Shale. It was Shale. Okay, yeah, it was H- him. I have to remember that. I always think Shale's a girl. <laughs> yeah. So, what were your thoughts as that game kind of evolved and we started fighting it out, kind of in the middle of the board? I should not have picked to attack half tusk. So that okay. one. It, 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 okay. So. I think that that scenario, especially as the game goes along, can make Shale super powerful because you have lots of hexes to move all over the board. They're all right there in the center. And yeah. so they're all within reach of, of Landslide's reach. And then Shale gets to move them all over the fucking place. Like that, that is a great scenario for Shale. Yeah, I mean, when it's like all going to be loaded in the center and you're going to pretty much be able to order and move those hexes any way that you want to. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah that's definitely a strong one for her. So I, I would say that the Shapers and the Guardians are really strong in that scenario. If, if you're asking me kind of like what, what classes work really well yep. in the life scenario, just because... The shapers can manipulate everything that's in the center, kind of like you said with shale. And then you can also use the guardians, just hold it down in the center. So I agree with you that that that's kind of a really good one because any of the shapers, I think, can affect that scenario really well. Mm -hmm. And in that one, I don't know. What do you think some of the downfalls that's like, let's kind of start with actually before we get into the negatives of it. What kind of champions, I just kind of gave shapers and guardians, but what specific champions do you think work really well with that life scenario? Or, yeah, the life scenario. Well, I mean, shale. obviously, yeah, shale just because of like the ultimate on shale. But the other thing that is interesting is 
I obviously think that as that thing grows out, the the objective hex bubble, if you will, yeah, as that grows out, it can really block up followers. And I think that if you're able to take a champion that has abilities where the followers can pop up at different spots, that can make that champion's situation more nimble okay so maybe even like wraith where he can pop up next to one of his splashlings no 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 because because i'm not worried about wraith's movement because he's a champion he can go on those hexes anyway in fact that scenario isn't as good for wraith right because the the little the little guy the little swirlies are not able to uh, get on objective hexes, so so it doesn't help them. I'm talking about uh, Camp Warmblade, or is, or is it, yeah, or or Sneaky Pete's little guys, right? They're able to just kind of like jump over things and yeah. be placed all the way over here or all the way over there based on the combinations of abilities that they have. Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah. So you're saying followers that you can place different position so it's like oh my followers are cut off but now i'm going to move them over here yeah that's yeah because both those sneaky pete can actually kill one of his followers and then place it next to him so uh another one that i think is great for that scenario we've already mentioned is half tusk because he wants to hang out in that life area anyways he wants to hang out in the objectives but also his minions his followers the troglodytes or i should say froglodytes they uh the Froglodytes can hang out in objective square. So you can kind of use them to prevent your opponent from placing their banners and moving around where they want to go. So that's why I like Half Tusk in life because he wants to be in the middle and his followers can help move people around, give out some boons and just kind of place where they need to be. Yeah, I agree. With yeah, that. I love those. I love those Froglodytes. They're so good. Like, feel the power. Like, they can't even use one of their abilities unless they're on objective X's. That's why I love it. Any negatives that you didn't like to the life scenario? Was there anything where you were just kind of like, this is kind of bullshit? No. Um, I do think that it's it's really straightforward, so it doesn't give you a lot to think about. Like, it's not, a, it's not the most interesting scenario. Yeah, I can agree with that. It's just... Pretty much run to the middle, hold your ground, and then just try to manipulate it, right? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and like I said, that's a basic scenario. It's pretty straightforward. Really good for running demos because you get you get the feel of it, and it's not too crazy. Whereas we go to the one we ran today, which is death. So looking at this scenario for people that don't remember or don't have it in front of them, Basically, you have three groups of objective hexes and the center has four and the flanks have three. And during the end of the turn, the player who lost gets to remove two objective hexes from anywhere on the board. The land is dying. Yeah. What do you think about the land dying? That one is... I mean, that one's... That one has more to think about because you have objective hexes all over the place. But it does become pretty lean for the objective hexes that you want to be able to use. Yeah. And so toward the end of the game, 
you're in a situation where there's just not a lot of stuff you can do. And I could imagine yeah. that being pretty frustrating depending on the type of models that you take. Yeah, I, I like the scenario because it's you have to be flexible and be adaptive because you can't just park it in one area because as soon as you do and you win a turn, your opponent's going to take those objective hexes to make it difficult for you to stay in that position. So it forces the fight to move to a different part of the board, which is really interesting for your choice of uh, champions that we brought. So what I want to do with that, Chris, is I want to talk about the champions that we brought today and why we brought them. So what are the three champions that you brought to the death scenario? I brought Shale because I had a good experience there. And I want to get more used to using him. I brought Bla Blackjaw because I haven't used the Maelstrom yet. And I just thought he was cool. And then I brought my spirit animal, Rangosh, because I want to chop people's faces open. And I think that all of your lists pretty much from now on are going to be, okay, I'm going to start with Rangosh and who are my other two? Yes. Well, Scientific and so you actually got to play, you got to play Rangosh today. What are some of the things that you were impressed with? And then what are some things that you're like, I got to kind of be careful of this with him. I was impressed. Well, I mean, he's, he's just a big giant beast. And so I thought that was awesome. I need, I was obviously liked being able to, you know, throw more dice and do more damage. And uh, there was there was even a moment in that game where I was holding back because I didn't want to knock out a champion on a turn that I knew I was going to win. I instead wanted to hold back and do it on another turn where. I thought that there was, you know, a, a better opportunity to win victory points. Yeah. And that hasn't been my experience yet with the other Slayers. Like, the other Slayers, I was just grasping at straws to be able to kill anything. And so it was nice mm -hmm. to be able to finally kill stuff with Rangosh. He actually had the tools to do it, which was beautiful for me. Okay. No, I was just going to say the champions that I brought to the death scenario was I brought Mornblade. And I brought him just because I wanted the ability to plant my banner and do a claim action three hexes away. Because since that scenario is very spread out, I thought that would be very useful. And it was. I brought Sneaky Pete just because he's my namesake and he's one of my favorite slayers right now. And he's once again, very agile and mobile, very hard to deal with. And then finally, I brought Wraith Marid just because he's also very movable he's very flexible in his movements and but all three of those champions i thought were really good to help me get around the board and i'll talk about kind of why i think that might have been some of my downside with this game as well but i they were very flexible and i did enjoy how they could adapt to what was happening on the board yeah you had a lot of movement yeah it was it was a lot of fun just because of the movement shenanigans in all three of those champions so obviously, Chris, this is kind of like, I don't know, maybe your third or fourth game. And I've, I've got a handful more than you down. But what was your general game plan going into death, knowing that it was going to be spread out and they were going to start to evaporate? I really didn't think about that a lot, to be honest. 
I okay. was mostly, I, I was just like, okay, so these are going to go away as time goes by. And I just kind of thought, well, I guess we'll get rid of the ones probably on the ends because the ones in the center are the ones that we're most likely to mess with. So, and that's basically what happened in the game. So I, I didn't think about it a lot as far as the strategy of using the advantages of the scenario. I was mostly thinking okay. about, well, how do I run these champions? Because two of them were brand new for me. Okay. When I was going into it, I was more looking at, because I knew I was faster than your champions mostly. So in my mind, I was thinking like, okay, how can I score some points on the right objective and then outflank Chris to start scoring in the middle and then on the far left if I had to. So my my idea was to kind of bait you into swinging into my right and then come around the back and then start scoring off the back. Uh, so that was my kind of general game plan as as it kind of developed. Yeah, so I it's interesting that you say that because obviously I the last thing I wanted was to get Rangosh out of position because I was so excited to use him. So yeah. I really was making an effort not to dive full blast to like one side like that, like what you wanted me to do, wanted to bait me into, and yeah. try to err on the side of keeping him to the center or or like in football, like if you're if you're a cornerback and you're like playing that outside or inside shoulder, I was trying to play it to where I shaded in um, the entire time, just to make sure yeah. that I I didn't get out of position with Rangosh. Okay, and and it turned out being a smart move because if you did pursue too hard to that right flank, I just would have really pushed past you, and Rangosh would have been out of action there for a while. Yeah, I did make one error there uh, that was a significant one where I thought, okay, well, all of these raiders with Rangosh are archers, so let's let's spread them all out separately. I was kind of thinking of them like Lorsan's followers, and I spread them all out onto different hexes, and then I realized, ah, man, I really wish that some of these were combined because... I get some bonuses by shooting or attacking with multiple followers in the same X. Yeah. Well, and also you, you needed to be careful to keep them close to Rangosh. So that way, if you wanted to use, uh, kill one of them off with Brutal Master yep. to add an extra die, you could do that. So I think you fixed that towards the end of the game. But at the beginning, you were like, kind of like, oh, crap. <laughs> Yeah, so so that that was something that I had to learn, and that was just the nat natural trial and error of yeah. playing a new champion. So, how, as the game started to develop, what were some of the thoughts you had as far as interactions with some of my champions, or what were some of the things that you liked that your guys did? So, so what are some of the things that you kind of really enjoyed as you kind of got into the scenario? I. Well, I didn't expect your followers to do as much as they did. In the other games that we played, I didn't feel like it was very follower-centric. And yeah. I basically only had to worry about the champions. In this game, you definitely use the followers on all of your models to max effect and be able to you know, get more movement or do things that harass my models to where they're not able to do what they want to do. 
or move models around to where they're not in places that I want them to be, stuff like that. It was, it was definitely irritating and I didn't expect to have to deal that much with pain in the ass followers. Yeah. I'll say one of the things that I kind of, I shouldn't say I was surprised by, but just the lack of a maelstrom in my team kind of, I feel like handicapped me a little bit just because I didn't feel like I was able to punish your followers for getting in the way. Whereas when my followers started cluttering up the board, I feel like Blackjaw did a great job of just using his ultimate to clear them out. So I, I, I don't know what you think, but that Blackjaw ultimate turn was pretty good. Yeah, and Blackjaw's ultimate turn for me wasn't... I mean, it was a good turn, but it definitely wasn't a maxed out turn, right? Like I, I basically killed the three sneaky Pete uh, followers. And so, and, and, and so that's a good term, but I wasn't able to like take advantage of like target five follower models or, you know, any of that kind of really, really wild stuff. So yeah, I, I think that the advantage of having a maelstrom and not feeling like I only had to target champions that are harder to kill. And I was able to get, a lots of small points all around the board for yeah. killing little followers that were irritating anyway. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to eat you because you're fucking pain. The, that, was, <laughs> that was very satisfying. Yeah, whereas something I found with, and I think this is something I'm going to be cautious of when I build lists kind of in the future and pick my models, is that my followers for the three that I picked my followers the only ones that could do damage were the nightshades for Mornfang the other ones like Sneaky Pete Stabbers they can only do damage during the plot phase so I can't even do that um, in the north which which can be a good thing but I found there was times where I was behind on steps on the ladder and after my champions went I really didn't have any way to add more steps because my my followers just didn't have enough punch to them where I felt like I could make up for that. And I didn't do a good job of protecting my banners just because the fight was kind of forced in the middle. And yeah, I got steps for claim actions, but I didn't have anything at the end. So I think that's something I'm going to be a little more careful of in the future is what kind of followers I, I include in my list. That way I have some punch ability when uh, the turn kind of comes around because it, yeah, I just... I especially turn three, I really didn't have anywhere to get points from. Yeah. So I think that that's something that's good for new players to be aware of is you obviously want to, there's a natural tendency to uh, activate your champions early. Cause you want to be able to do the neat shit that they can do, but yeah. exercising some restraint and activating later, the models that are most drastically able to affect the slider of points to determine who wins that round is very significant. And so, you know, maybe it means that we need to learn when we don't activate champions early so that the board can develop a little bit more and they can then t get the easy pickings of other other point opportunities, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's a key point because I think you did a better job of that 
I think it was turn two when you could have dropped Wraith, but you were like, well, there's there's nothing really that can heal you or move you out of my threat range, so I'm just going to kill you next turn. And that, that was a very powerful moment because that gave you another four steps on turn three, which eventually led to you winning the, uh, the turn in the game. Yeah, so th- having that strong coupling of turn two and three is a significant advantage. And obviously there will be a lot of people that combine turns three and four to create that as well. But yeah, those back-to-back turns, that's going to be an important thing to monitor and be aware of as we get more experience with this game. So looking for this scenario, Chris, looking at the three champions that you brought, are there any champions that maybe you would think about switching in or were you pretty happy with the way that all three of them performed? I was pretty happy with the way all three of them performed. All of them for me are new experiences, so I have a lot more room to grow. But obviously taking three different style of champions has benefits and I don't think that I'm very likely to go down the road of having just one one type of champion out there. Like when I first started, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to like throw three slayers out there and just chop heads and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't I don't think I'll ever go with like three slayers. Like I want I want the resources and tools that a variety can bring. So if you were in a tournament, what's the fourth model that you think would do okay into that uh, into that scenario as well? Who's, who's the fourth model that you're kind of thinking about bringing if you were going to run four champions and then just pick three? Who's that fourth champion? I don't know. Maybe Rodri? So far. I, I, I do I do like Rodri. Rodri, Half-Tusk. I mean, it makes sense to take Guardian in, the, in, in your four to have, have one of each class. I think that Rodri would be a bad choice in uh, death, though. I mean, Rodri's really slow. Yeah, but it, it like you're you're correct. He is slow. So, I, but I just don't know that. Yeah, he he would he would definitely be better into life. But I, I I'm just trying to think. Like, I, I don't think that you want to be put into a situation where you're doubling up classes in your four. I think that you'd want to choose one from each class. Just so yeah. you have the the ability to play those ways. Yeah, but and I, I, I definitely wanted to change. I don't know what the change is, but I definitely felt like I needed something else in there. And I, I kind of felt like I wanted a Maelstrom, and the Maelstrom I've been playing with is Grimgut. So I just, mm-hmm. a, a way to punish people for having their followers out of position, I just felt like I couldn't do that as much after turn one. Um. So Grimgut's one that I would like to switch in there. I don't know which champion I switch out. I really like Sneaky Pete, but I'm just kind of like, I kind of need something more flexible there. But I also was thinking about Naya because Naya has a pretty strong gameplay, I feel like, into death because she has three actions, which is great, but she also can kill one of her Quartzlings and basically replace it as an objective hex. So yeah. that, that's something really cool that she can do. She can also kill a Quartzling, make it an objective hex, and then place a banner on it. 
So it, it, she's just really flexible and she actually does a decent amount of damage on her flip side too, because she puts out a bunch of boons, but she also puts out blights and she can do some decent damage with blinding light. So Naya is one that I kind of was like, man, I kind of wish I was playing her, but I definitely see the benefit of Wraith as well. I don't think I was using Wraith more for manipulation of movement, but I feel like I should have done that in the planning in the plot phase and then used his headbutt and his other attack during the clash phase a little bit more. I was trying to be too cute with his movement, I feel like. It wouldn't be the first time you went down that road. I know. I know. Getting cute with your picks. Yeah, I tell you what, I did like... See, that's the thing, though. I just... I I can see playing Sneaky Pete and Mornblade in that scenario as well. Because I love Mornblade's ability to make a claim action three hexes away. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, it's just it's it's flexible, and I just think it's it's something that makes him really good in that scenario. So I'll have to play with. I think the next time I do death, I'm gonna try maybe Mornblade and then Grimgut, and maybe I might try Wraith again, or maybe switch him out for Naya. But I think I don't know. What do you think about having? Like, what did you think about Slay- your Slayer Rangosh in that scenario where the Hex... I know it worked out and you won, but if you have problems killing something, like maybe somebody kills Rangosh and pushes him away and Rangosh has some bad swings, I mean, what what's your backup plan if the Rangosh train fails? Losing. <laughs> oh, just losing, huh? Yeah, like I think that if if my Rangosh train goes off the tracks, like I just won't win. It's kind of what I expect. I, it's sort of like missing an assassination run with Butcher Three. <laughs> I think like that. Like I'm just going to lose. I think. I think if they handle Rangosh and you use Blackjaw and then you start to claim and get your banner down with um, with Shale, I think you can still be in the run, though. Yeah, I think the two that just wouldn't be fun. Yeah. Well, I know you just like to kill stuff. Well, I mean, you're still killing stuff with Blackjaw, though. You can kill followers. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I just love being able to send Rangosh over like over the middle and just be like, charging yeah. through the objective hexes. Let me ask you this. What did you think of Sneaky Pete now that you saw him kind of played out? He has way too much evasion. It's fucking annoying. I mean, he's a little goblin. Yeah, you shouldn't be so evasive. I have a long whip that should be able to catch him up. I mean, because basically Sneaky Pete did he almost killed Blackjaw and he almost killed Rangosh. So, I mean, he, he definitely does what he's supposed to do. He slays models, but I'm just trying to think in that scenario, if I need that, or if I'm not going all out on the slaying train, if I just need to drop him for some more kind of, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't, I'm kind of confused with the champions that I like and which ones I should bring in that scenario. Yeah, I have a feeling you're going to see a lot of Rangosh, Blackjaw, Shale combinations coming soon. I like that. I mean, that was a good combo. I'm I'm glad that you played it out and you liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah so, you know, that like when I talked about in our last podcast, the idea of it's kind of nice because it's very manageable that you can be like, all right, well, here's three champions and then I can start branching off from those. And what happens if I replace this one and or that one and who I replace them with? Like, I think that I've kind of found that core for myself. I like all of those champions 
I felt very good about how they played. Yeah, I feel like that's a good three for you. And if I'm kind of going to go in that same wheelhouse of three models where I'm just like, okay, these are the three I'm probably most comfortable with. I probably got to go with Grimgut, Half Tusk, and then maybe I'm kind of starting to feel Sneaky Pete out a little bit. So maybe Sneaky Pete's in there for me. So I got a Guardian, a Maelstrom, and then a Slayer in there. But also Naya I've been really comfortable with too. So I kind of got four. I need to narrow it down to three and then go from there. Yeah, I want to play with Naya and see how it is with Naya versus Shale. Yeah. It, it like, you know, see, see about that switch because... Obviously, Naya can like hunt down some some models too, even though she's supposed to be a shaper. But yeah, I'll play around with Naya instead of Shale. Yeah, and her damage doesn't just come from her. She also has her uh, quartzlings that can you know throw basically a stone two hexes away, and they're throwing five dice if you got all three of them there. So yeah. But yeah, Half Tusk is kind of my... Pre- and that's the thing. I, I like Mornblade, but Half Tusk is just a good protector for me. Like, I just like what he does. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Well, because I can cause more headaches for you. You can do like, oh, I'm going to do five damage with, you know, Rangosh. And be like, all right, I'm going to heal two and then heal two again. Suck it. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I know you were happy to not, see, to not see Rang- or see uh, Half Tusk on the, uh, on the field of battle today. Yeah, I, I got to start playing around with what do I change when you have models that are going to be annoying to kill. Dude, it's it's only 11 o'clock. You need to cut out that shit. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm getting old. That's for sure. Death was interesting, and I'm kind of... I, I like how... I mean, is the scenario that different, Chris, where it keeps it fresh? Like, did you feel like you were playing like a totally different game? Not a totally different game, but it, but it was something new. Like it, it, I, I, I don't. I still feel like both the scenarios are pretty basic and manageable. Mm-hmm. But I don't have strong feeling with one or the over the other. I'm sure that as time goes by, I'll start seeing little nuances and feel stronger about it. But no, I mean, yeah. If if somebody said ah, I want to play death or I want to play life, I'd be like, okay, whichever one you want. At least at least currently, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it does freshen it up for which champions, but I think the three champions that you brought are, I think they would be pretty good in, I haven't played the other scenarios yet, so I mean, I'm kind of you know speaking out of key here a little bit, but I feel like the three you brought could be pretty flexible in most of the scenarios. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I kind of sense that too. That's why I'm gravitating toward them. There are some, <laughs> some of the scenarios get pretty, pretty wonky when you kind of look at them. So, I mean, the next ones we're going to look at are change and knowledge. So those are the two we're going to kind of focus on next time we start playing more. I should have called them change, change and hope. So they sounded like a political campaign. Looking at everything that we've done so far with the game, Chris, kind of like just talking more about God tier in general. I mean, are you, are you feeling a little bit better now that you found a champion that you're just kind of like, yeah, this is the champion that I need to play. Well, I found two, right? I found, Rangosh and Blackjaw. So okay, so you like Blackjaw that much that you're kind of like, oh yeah, he's he's on my bus. Yeah, because I can go kill the fucking followers with him. So I get like just more killing going on. Yeah, because like I said, turn two, Blackjaw won you that turn easily because he put down a banner and he ended up 
or no, I don't even think he put down a banner. Did he put down a banner or did he squash a banner? One or the other. But he ended up. He squashed one. He squashed one. He ended up getting you like a seven point swing that turn. Yeah. Which is really good. Yeah. Every single one of those models. In in fact, the one that had the greatest degree of disappointment was Rangosh, and I wasn't disappointed. It's just that he had those bad rolls that, you know, obviously are frustrating. You know, wasn't able to, you know, go have a two-kill turn. Um, but all of them did what they're supposed to do. Sh- Shale contributed what he was supposed to contribute to get a victory. Uh, Blackjaw contributed what he's supposed to contribute to get a victory. Like, they, they all did their jobs. They all, like you know, serve their purpose. And so, yeah, which are, I, I don't care which one you want to say is Jordan Pippen or Rodman. Like they all did their jobs. That's good to hear. I'm glad you're starting to find a, a good core in the game. Cause I feel like that's what you need to do. You need to figure out which three you really get comfortable with and then find a flex, you know, I mean, if you're going to go with the Chicago bulls pick there, I mean, you can find your, you know, Paxton or, you know, your Steve Kerr to come off the bench and, you know, shoot some three yeah who can you. throw throw down from downtown yeah yep so and then who, you got then can you can be coach six man and then you got your you know luke luke of the what was the australian guy's last name luke uh, luke longley longley yeah you, you could get him and basically like just basically be a dud for you that stands in the middle <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they i i just felt like they like shale was one that I had a really great experience with today and an interesting one. Cause there were times where I was sitting there with shale and I literally thought, well, shit, I can't do any more things with shale's card, right? Like I can't attack anyone or, you know, get more actions out of this. There's only one action that I can even use on this turn. But as I thought about it, like, okay, she did what, she was supposed to do to contribute to a win and, or he, he, sorry, I, I got to not, that's going to be like a miss thing, right? Where like everyone called miss her forever. Yeah. And then finally it got fixed. But, uh, <laughs> just over time as people get some practice and they change the model to make it look like a man. Um, so he did what he was supposed to do. And honestly, if he was able to do what he did and then also like had some good attack action on his card as well, like it would be a broken model. So, and I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I've never been somebody that's like, Oh yeah, let's have my models be broken. Like I don't, I don't want a broken model to play. I just want one that, I, you know, is, is functional and, and shale isn't broken or anything like that. Just, does what he's supposed to do and um great good good job good work shale was a little interesting because when i looked at what was happening on the board i'm like shale's not even doing anything what what is you know chris getting his dander up about and then you were kind of like i kind of thought about it and i'm like well actually he's used like landslide to move you know his killers around the board and doing just claim actions and kind of causing problems for me in the middle Plus, I knew you had that ultimate in your back pocket, so that kind of kept me pretty reserved most of the game on where I wanted to get involved in. So you're, you, it didn't seem like Shale did a did like a decent job, but once you go back and look at it, you're like, yeah, they actually contributed quite a bit to the turn or to the game. Yeah, 
Yeah, di- diving for those loose balls, getting those rebounds. So Shale's so, Dennis Rodman. Are you calling Shale your MVP then of the game? I wouldn't go that far. Okay, so, but, so who's the MVP then? Are you giving it to Rangosh on his first time? Probably, no, probably, probably Blackjaw. Pro- okay. Probably Blackjaw. Because Blackjaw had those, had those big swinging, just one model at a time, collecting points to where you couldn't swing it back moments in turns two and three and one turns two and three because of it. So, yeah, it's, it's probably Blackjaw that actually really did the heavy lifting there. And and okay. you just had to occupy a lot of your focus with Rangosh because it, if you didn't, like, Rangosh would have gone hog wild. Rangosh was very much, and, and I apologize for, like, the cross comparisons here, but I when I would play that Kato army, there were times where I would get frustrated because I'd bring Butcher and Bruin, and everyone knows that Bruin is a nightmare, so they'd tie down Bruin and I wouldn't be able to do anything with Bruin. And it was frustrating, but I should be able to take advantage of other opportunities that are resulting from you having to focus so much effort on making sure that ruin is manageable. And so I feel the same way with with this game where it's like, all right, you can focused a lot of efforts, the followers from Warmblade, for instance, to control Rangosh. And if you didn't, Rangosh would have made things a living hell. Uh, but in so doing, that meant that you had to sacrifice your focus elsewhere. And Blackjaw was able to like come and clean up with taking out followers. And yeah, it, it, it was a good kind of pick your poison type situation that was created there. And, and obviously I was able to take advantage of it. Clearly, you know, in, I the, could not- in the right moment. Hey, clearly, I could not drink the cup of wine in front of you. Yeah. But knowing that, I could also not choose to drink the wine in front of me. So there, there I was. That's also true. <laughs> yep. uh, and I put you into a land war of Southeast Asia. That's right. Uh, so I know I lost, and it. I don't know. I'm trying to think of if I could, which which champion was the MVP for my three. And I'm trying to think who probably did the most work. And I think it's it's tough. It's for me. It's either Sneaky Pete or uh, or Morn Blade. And I kind of want to lean towards Morn Blade because I think he got me the most points directly. So I think that's who yeah, I have no, with my MVP. I I think that would be true. And I would say that it was Morn Blade for a couple of reasons. Morn Blade definitely got you the win on turn one by being able to put that banner out so far away. Yep. Mornblade definitely was is Mornblade's followers the ones that are able to like do little irritating things from, was, like they're, from a distance. They're, they're the ones that if they park next to you, your advance basically is considered zero. And then That's right. They, so they, so they tied up Rangosh. And they're the one that can move uh Mornblade around and give him an evasion token as well. Yep. So, yeah, I think Mornblade was definitely your best your best player on there. I mean, Mornblade having the "I only give out one point if you kill me" element, yeah, is definitely a great way to just let Mornblade run amok because it's not really worth my time to hunt down Mornblade. Yeah, I, I mean, Mornblade has four armor too, so and he has basically three evasion. 
if he has the boon on him. So he's not exactly the easiest champion to kill, even though he only has one wound. Yeah, so, so I think Mornblade is a is an MVP for you. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, Wraith was just like a victim for you. Yeah, I've, well, because I, Wraith was I just about you. getting chased down. Well, I was going to say, I felt like the whole time you were just chasing Wraith around the board with Rangosh. So I was just kind of like, well, I can't really engage too heavy here. I just got to get him the hell out of there. <laughs> I yeah. felt like he was. Yeah, so, uh, I, mean, I felt like he was Apollo Creed getting beaten on by the Russian, and it's just like get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, and to kind of continue with some of the metaphors, like the basketball metaphor, right? Like, I—that's what I was looking at, like the whole time. I was like, this Wraith versus Rangosh situation, like that is a mismatch to exploit, right? Like, I know I can score on this guy, and so, you know, if I can put you in a situation where you—that has to be the cover, like I'm going to be scoring here, and. So I, I, yeah, I was, I was very much trying to hunt him. Well, the one thing I neglected too is that when I do his, you know, little splash dance there, where he can replace himself with a uh, splashling or replace the splashling, and he can get placed there three hexes away. I didn't recognize that he gets a boon every time he does that. So I should have been loading up the boons a little bit more to make him more survivable, but that's just getting comfortable with the champion. So now that I know that, I don't think I'll be as scared to put him in some of those situations. So just good good to learn, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, though. Like, And this is a very far down the field prediction. I wouldn't be surprised if Wraith just doesn't see as much play because when it comes to shapers, like Naya and Shale are just better. Which is kind of an unpopular opinion because there's a lot of people that bring Wraith in their list right now. I think that people bring him for a couple of reasons. One, the model's cool as shit. So I think that there are a lot of people that buy him because they're just like, this is fucking neat. And I think that obviously once you do, then that's great. And two, it's there. there's no one that's like, an expert, super experienced meta person right now in this game, right? Like there, yeah. there, there, there's not an Alex bots in this game, right? Like, like we, we don't see anybody that's like that. Eventually those people will come into the game and, uh, or, or maybe they won't because of the swingy dice or whatever, who knows? But the point is, I think that the meta is less experienced, right? It's more casual, and a more casual meta is going to choose models that look cool and, you know, do do fun things, okay, so I can teleport around with the followers and all this kind of stuff. Like, okay, that's neat. But from a, from a practical getting things done to win situation, Shale and Naya do a better job. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting because I'm just looking at what you're saying and... I mean, Wraith does have about a 58% win number right now on Battle Ladder, but you also look at it, he has about 20 more games than the next closest shaper. So people are bringing him just because he's cool and he has this kind of really cool gimmick, right? And and how does he compare to the win percentage with Naya and Shale? Because Shale's number one. Yeah, Naya's pretty far back. She's looking at being in the active slot only about 33%. So she's actually pretty okay. low as far as win percent goes. 
See, I'm surprised by that because I, I, I feel like online people talk about Naya being pretty damn good. Well, I, I don't know. I like think my impression her, of Naya is much stronger. I think she has her spots, but I just think that there's also some times where maybe she, she's not being used correctly. I think the three actions are really strong, and I think though if you have oh account, really strong. Well, the, the problem is if you go against somebody that has like Lorisan, right? If somebody with Lorisan mm-hmm. is smart, they can kill off her Quartzlings pretty easily. So I think she's a great counter to Naya. So if I see Lorisan in my opponent's pool of four champions, I don't know if I drop Lorisan because anybody that can just drop her Quartzlings that easy, it's just she's going to be very hindered at that point because she's so dependent on those quartz links to make her really strong. Yeah, but then but you've had the experience of just chasing down Lorson with Naya. Yeah, I mean, there was that one game, but I feel like I I don't know how to explain it. I feel like she wasn't the focus. So she was allowed to kind of sit back and do that. And I even told the guy I played, I was like, listen, I would have, you know, just smoked the quartz links and, you know, then maybe even focus a little bit on Naya as you kind of go along, but that just wasn't kind of in the cards. Plus there was a bad dice roll there with Lorisan that really kind of hindered her to do what she wanted to do. Well, and, and also it means Lorisan's playing out of style, right? Like, so, or out of class, right? Where Lorisan, so you're telling me Lorisan has to focus on killing the Quartzlings. So now Lorisan, instead of being a slayer, is playing this Maelstrom game. Like, yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, I, I, we've already spoken at length about how Lorison sucks. Yeah, I mean, you have. I've played her where she did amazing. So, yeah, you've also played her against her where she got hunted down by a shaper. It's fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Well, and that's one of those things where it's just like what you said, where we're so early in the development of this game. And especially since we've been bottled up and there hasn't been events and there hasn't been, you know, these, these large scale of, you know, events and tournaments where people are playing these and the data is not being collected. So that's the thing is people are going to get these champions as they come out and there's going to be certain combinations and, and scenarios that these champions work better in, but you're right. People are like, Oh, well, Wraith is kind of the better choice. So then naturally people that learn to play the game are be like, Oh, well, I got to get Wraith and I'm not going to worry about Naya. And I like Naya. And I told somebody that on uh, on Discord and they were like, well, you're crazy. I'm like, well, I had fun with her and she did what I wanted her to do. She won me the game. So let me ask you this because I'm not, I'm not looking at Battle Ladder, right? I, I've never I've never even opened it. Um, I'm sure I will at some point. But the, just so that the people at home know that I'm not like cheating it, right? So let me let me yeah. guess. I'm going to guess like five models that I think are like the top played models. And let's see if I can get three of the top. Uh, I'm going to guess five. And let's see if I can get the top three played ones in there. Okay. So, when so you I say think played, Wraith is one of them. Ta- are, well, hold on. Are you talking like, about played like, as in games like. In. Okay. The, mo- the most games in. Like, I want to see if, if I'm able to predict which ones get played the most. And part of it is just me choosing, like, which ones are cool. Which ones look cool. Yeah. Okay? So, I think Wraith is one of them. Okay. I think Rangosh is one of them. Okay. I think... 
I need. I, I just want to see a list Let, of like. Let's all go. Of this is your. This is your exercise. Let's go. Well, I wasn't planning on doing the exercise, so just chill the fuck out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so I, I just want yeah, to see. Rate, I just want to see. Rate the ring, gosh. Yeah, and 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 I'm picking them because like they're cool, right? Like they're they're cool looking models. So yeah. I think that they'd get played a lot based on the the standing of the current god tier meta. I think Morn Blade would be one. Okay. I think Sneaky Pete would be one. Grimgut is pretty cool. Um and you know what? I'll, I'll say I'll say Lorsan just because I think that people like they're all those people that just think elves are cool, right? So so we'll we'll go with those those five: Wraith, Rangosh, Mornblade, Lorsan, and Sneaky Pete. I, I think that I think that those those five models that I picked the top three most played within those five models. All right, so. And this is just going off the online and the early games as this came down before uh, the whole, you know, court, all the COVID crap. So uh, number one is Lorisan with 66 games online. Uh, okay. Wraith is next, I believe. Yes, Wraith, Wraith is next with 59 games. And then the next one looks like it is Titus with 55. Oh, let me Follow- see this Titus model. I've never even looked at it. <laughs> Following that up is a tie between Rangosh and Blackjaw. So that's kind of your top five right there. Okay. So, so, so I, mean, I didn't, I didn't get the top three right by there. just picking by, by, by look. Yeah. So anyway, but like, yeah, I, th- I think that right now it's very much like kind of a rule of cool and which ones look cool. I'm, I'm surprised Mornblade isn't on there. Mornblade is just a cool ass looking model. Mornblade um, does have a pretty high amount of games with 48. And you got to remember that okay. something also to keep in mind is models like Sneaky Pete, Rangosh, Wraith, and Mornblade, and Blackjaw aren't even on Tabletopia. So these are like pre-COVID-19 kind of numbers, right? So the fact that they're still that high up and they aren't even on the online app is that says a lot yeah. for those models. Yeah. Yeah, I and I'll tell you what. Like, there are a lot of these models that look look very cool. Yeah. Um, but one that isn't on that list really is probably Naya, right? Naya uh, Naya isn't a super cool looking model. You you would be correct there. She is probably probably fourth model at the bottom there. So she's in the bottom quarter basically. I think Rattlebones would be on the list. Grimgut, even though Grimgut, there's like I think that there's something cool about that model. I think most people would find it to not be the most aesthetically pleasing. And yeah, it looks like maybe that would be low. <laughs> looks like a big poop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so those ones would be toward the end. You know who's in last place besides Shale? Who? Your favorite model. Your favorite Slayer. Oh, shitty fucking Morgan. Yeah. Yep. Dude, they need to like pull Morgan off of that fucking Tabletopia and put Rangosh in. This is getting fucking ridiculous. Well, pull some strings there, Chris. I don't have any strings to pull. <laughs> Not to mention, like, as I I think Steamforge is on like lockdown and everyone's at home, so yeah, it's not like it's not like we can just call them up. All right, Chris. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Any other general thoughts about life and death before we uh, sign out here? I don't think so. 
I mean, okay. like I could wax poetic about them just in general in life, but all right, we we will forego that. All right, well, make sure that you guys are following us on Facebook. Make sure that following us on Twitter, YouTube, our YouTube channel. Just check it out, Rage Quit Wire. Putting a lot of video content out. Going to put some more, uh, probably some more online gameplay as we kind of go along here. So if you like, subscribe, share, and that'll help us out with getting more people on board. And don't forget that we want to make sure that we thank our patrons. We do have two new patrons that we do want to shout out kind of for supporting the show uh, just because they pledged and they're really kind of been excited about supporting and kind of looking at our online content and episodes we're putting out. But we actually had Joe Oliver. He came back to he's been a patron before. But since he stopped playing Guild Ball, he kind of went away. And now he's happy that we're doing extra content again. So he was one that I was really happy to to see. And then we actually had Craig, Craig uh, Shipman became a patron of the show. So the host of Third Floor Wars kind of giving us a little, you know, host. tip of the cap. <laughs> so we want to thank our patrons. We got other patrons, too, that we'll start calling out more often. Uh, We hope to get more as we continue to devote more time and money into the podcast. All right. Make sure that y'all roll some dice and throw some salt out there. We're going to catch y'all next time. (laughs) Peace.